Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 60. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Dan DeMeo. He is a CEO of Can Capital. Now, Can Capital is a little different to most other companies in this industry in that they've been around a while. They actually were started last century and back in 1998. So they have been lending money to small businesses through several cycles of the economy, which is something that uh, you know, many other small business lenders simply cannot say. So I wanted to get down on the show just to you know, talk a bit about CAN and what, what makes them different, why you know, they have you know, continued to thrive after all these years. So we'll, we'll talk about their underwriting. You know, we'll talk about some of their scale on the funding side of the business. We cover some of those topics as well. You know, they're a fascinating company, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Peter, very much. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's talk just a little bit about your background here. I know you haven't been at Can Capital since the beginning, but give us give the listeners a bit of a sense of your background. Yes, I have been at Can Capital for six years now. In March, it was six years. The first three years, I was the CFO. And uh, the last three years, I've been leading the company my business experience is across larger financial institutions primarily. Got great training, great inspiration, fantastic experience, worked with a lot of really smart, skilled people. But when you look within my skill set, it's really a combination of marketing, classic marketing, and accounting and finance, which puts me in a very fortunate position, I'm sure, as, as our shareholders would attest because I have a really strong appetite and deep experience in the growth side, specifically how to grow direct businesses, and then also have a really good handle on the financials, including uh, the balance sheet side, which is really important for an independent company like ours. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. So why don't you give us, just give us a little bit of a sense of the history, you know, when, when the company was started and, and how it's kind of developed over the years. Sure. We've been in business since uh, 1998. It was founded by an entrepreneur and his wife. And basically, he and his wife were looking for working capital. They couldn't find a solution without putting up all kinds of guarantees or collateral. And what they had was future business as, as a promise, if you will, or as credit criteria for why they should be a, an able uh, person to fund. So um, she had a jamboree. She was looking for money. money. There was no avail to the money in short order and also without jumping through a lot of hoops. So over the, over the years, they developed what's now become Can Capital. Early on, we went to market with a, a MCA product, which was a true sale. And uh, what was the basis for that is a daily remittance where we actually, it's a, uh, it's a purchase and sale of a future receivable. So we provide funding in lieu of a commitment to the future receivables. That was remitted to us on a daily basis. And we actually approached merchant acquirers at the time and struck an agreement that allow us to split process 
at the acquirer. So the settlement would occur where we would get our remittance amount and then the merchant would actually get their settlement minus the remittance amount. So that gave us a great advantage into the visibility and the health of the asset on a very current basis and allowed us to go further in terms of traditional credit screens or underwriting or eligibility and really launched where we are today. So is it fair to say that you you guys invented the MCA product then? I would say that absolutely we were the pioneers. You know, I would have to do some pretty significant fact-checking, but I believe <laughs> we, I believe we were the first ones out there. If we weren't the, you know, I just refer to it as we were the pioneers of it. I right. don't actually want to have to check all the legal uh, documents to see if we were absolutely number one in the Fair first. Enough. But Fair enough. clearly early on, this was, uh, this was how we ran our business. Right. So, so then what is the product mix today? You've got, you know, you obviously you still have your MCA business, I take it, but what, what else are you doing? Yeah, we, our product mix today is the MCA. We also have a direct loan product that has a fixed term and a fixed payment amount. We have launched last year a flexible loan product called Track Loan, which will, over the next coming months, presumably by the end of the year, will phase out the traditional MCA. But what we're pre- preserving is the flexible payment feature. So we'll have a Track Loan, which is the flexible payment feature product. We'll have a direct loan, can capital direct loan, fixed payment, fixed term. And we also launched last year a bank-like installment loan, which is slightly longer in tenure, uh, on average a higher ticket, and priced more aggressively to an upmarket target. Okay, so, so just I just want to clarify that that flexible loan, you, you said you're, you're going to, it's going to replace the MCA, so it's, the flexible loan isn't tied then to future receivables. It's going to be a loan. Is that correct? It's going to be a loan, yes. It's going to be a loan, and we see ourselves evolving into that product. So, so then what, why are you abandoning the MCA, or why are you moving away from it? Well, it isn't, we're, we're not moving away from it. We're actually running to an opportunity for clarity, for merchant understanding, and take all of the benefits of a direct loan product and the familiarity of a direct loan product to merchants and uh, package it as a loan. We think it's really uh, a strength of ours to provide either a fixed payment or a flexible payment, and that's really what the allure and the attraction is for us. Right. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. So then let's just talk about the borrowers. What are some typical you know, businesses, small business owners? <clears throat> who is coming to Can Capital today, and, is, and has that been changing? Yes, it has changed over time, but the market profile that we're most active in and and produce our typical customer as a working capital request. I'll give you some ranges between 5,000 and 350,000. The term would span from six months to as much as 48 months. Very broad credit spectrum. If you were to measure it by the familiarity of FICO, it would be as low as 500 and as high as 700 and above greater than 700. Average funding amount across the portfolio on our flagship products is about 50,000. Average term, 14 months, about. 
Mm-hmm. And some of the industries that we would cover would be retail, restaurant, um, grocery, healthcare, professional services. That gives you a general sense for uh, for how we play. Right. Okay. So then how do you find these borrowers? I mean, are you? I presume you're using brokers. Tell me the main channels, how you get these borrowers coming to you. Yeah, full channel mix. Our direct program, which is led by digital, is a growing aspect of our business and somewhere where we're investing a lot in the technology to drive the customer experience. So direct digital online, direct mail, telemarketing, which is inbound and outbound, and also have a very, very healthy partner business, which has been, you know, the heritage of King Capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, like you mentioned before, that you the underwriting, you know, is you know down to five hundred FICO and uh, and up over seven hundred. Can you? Yeah. But you're obviously you're not just underwriting on the the personal credit of the owner, I imagine. So can you tell us a little bit about the the underwriting process you have there? Yeah, we believe that the best underwriting and the underwriting and the approach to underwriting is uh, a combination of things. First, it's about the score and, you know, the decisioning in terms of what are the variables that you look for in a particular business profile. And much of the underwriting decision, and I would add is, is that we originate our loan products in partnership in a bank affiliation structure with WebBank, which is a Utah chartered bank. Mm -hmm. So uh, effectively, the underwriting is done through variables that are making decisions that drive basically the credit worthiness. So in our 18 years of experience and tens of millions of observations, we've been able to structure that information and turn it into decisioning. And the score is primarily the first opportunity for us to determine the credit worthiness. And then from there, we'll look at experiences that we had across certain industry codes and also use that as an opportunity to juxtapose cash flow from businesses, which is different to your original question of personal credit history. However, there are some observations of their personal credit history, but more weight is attached to the health of the business, how long they've been in business, the size of the revenue, and that really determines the the need for the particular merchant. From there, we go through various verification steps to make sure that, you know, we can service the loan properly. Is it a real business? Do they have tax returns? Positive cash flow or not? And all those are determining factors in us making a credit decision, a yes or no, and then what would be the size of the funding that we would be comfortable in uh, in offering a particular merchant. Right. And how, so how long does that process take from the time that, let's say, let's talk about your direct channel, the time the borrower goes onto your website and and requests a loan, how long does it take before they, uh, you know, for, for you to approve them? Some of it depends on the merchant because often they need to provide you with information. If you don't have some kind of electronic hookup, be it an API or a portal. But to answer your question more directly, more than 50% of the origination can be done same day or next day if you can connect 
have the right information and the merchant is motivated for an expeditious transaction. Okay, that sounds good. Which, so, comparatively speaking, you know, to banks or an SBA, <laughs> right? It's uh, it's extremely more convenient. Right, exactly, and that's that's one of the reasons I, I imagine that you are growing, just like a lot of the other online lenders are growing, because you know it is so much more convenient um, for the borrower. Yeah, I also think too with the banks, which perhaps you've heard, is that they're really good at, at um, perhaps providing million dollar and up kind of financing. Yep. And we would be in a smaller category where what I understand is the cost of acquisition doesn't make sense in terms of the overall economics for some larger institutions. Right. So I want to just talk about transparency for a little bit because this is this is something that has come up with with others. You know, there's been some press written about it. Where do you stand and like how are you presenting the information to the borrower and explain how you are, you know, committed to the ideal of transparency? Yeah, I mean, we're we're all aware, Peter, that there's a lot of discussion about disclosure. I mean, our form agreements are very clear. Everything is simple, easy to read. The terms and conditions are very easy to understand. There's nothing hidden. There's no trickery. There's no attempt on our part at all to be unclear relative to what the funding opportunity is with with a particular merchant. So we've always run our business that way. We're very compliant. We run a compliant business model. We take great pride in the professionalism by how we go to market. And we go the extra mile to make sure that the uh, the arrangement between us and, and the uh, the merchant is very clear. Okay. Sound, that sounds good. So then well, can you give give the listeners a bit of a sense of, of where you're at today as far as loan volume goes? I mean, what's your, what's your scale these days? Yeah, thanks for asking. We've done uh, north of 170,000 transactions. Sometime this month, we'll cross the $6 billion mark in terms of overall funding done by the company. And that puts us in a position to be larger than anybody in this category, specialty finance, fintech, you know, whatever the naming would be. We have great, great experience, and we've saved all that data, and we continue to use it to evolve decisioning and to find ways to say yes and, and drive a higher approval rate for merchants because we know what we're doing we're confident, we've had experience, and it gives us the advantage of how to more deeply penetrate the market. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. I mean, one of the, I think one of the biggest assets for companies like yours is, is your track record and your own, your own loan book than seeing how it has performed over time. It's, a, it's something that can't be duplicated by a startup, that's for sure. Yeah, and if I could say a couple more things. I mean, first, you've asked about the market, and the basic situation or the dilemma you would be in the niche that we're all fulfilling is small businesses, at least. In obtaining working capital, that can be very difficult. And what we would, what we phrase that out in an equation that says, one, in, as surveyed, 81% of small businesses need working capital. Only about half of them apply for it because they're time starved. So if you go through the equation, 81% need capital, only 37 or almost half would apply for it. And of that 37, 57 of of them are 
successful in obtaining working capital. When you multiply that through, that's basically a 17% success rate. So not only is the market large, but it still remains underpenetrated. Two, you asked about the strength of our business. First and foremost, extremely strong financial foundation. We have a very large syndicated debt facility, which has some of the largest financial institutions across this country that are participating in that. We've done a $200 million securitization. We were the first in this category to get an investment-grade rating. And we've had some great uh, investment and advice from some notable private equity firms. So if you look at what our success rate has been, you look at our financial wherewithal, that's really why we have stood out and will continue to stand out in this category because all that adds up to a very, very distinct advantage for us too. And that is we are profitable, we've been profitable, and our intention is to stay profitable. This business has been profitable every year since 2007. Wow, that's, that's, that is quite impressive. So I, I know you've got to get going soon, but I want to ask you uh, two more questions. So the first one, sure. I want to talk about the, um, you mentioned, you know, some of the, how you're funding these loans. Are you, can you just take us through that? So you, you obviously you have a, a line, we said with some of the major, major banks. Uh, do you also have a marketplace where other, whether you're taking on other investors? How does it work on the investor side of the equation? Yeah, right now we are not in, uh, what's, you know, been defined as marketplace lending. We're not doing, in essence, institutional term or whole loans. What we are doing is funding this business through, as I said, a $650 million syndicated debt facility and a securitization that, that, that we had done last year. And that the total of those two is more than $850 million. And we do believe that both of those represent expansion opportunities in the future. Some banks that participate in our syndicated debt facility are Wells, who leads it, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, J.P. Morgan, UBS, SunTrust, Alistar, CapSource, Region, Fifth Third, First Tennessee, and Amalgamated Bank. So you can see that that's a pretty star-studded lineup of folks that have uh, looked real hard at us and decided to help us support our business. And then again, the other piece was the securitization. So we're well-funded, and we like the rate of, uh, of our cost of funds, too. Really have a strong balance sheet, keep the assets on the balance sheet, and that's really one of the elements of how we drive for success, notably profitability. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Okay, last question then. I want to get your view on, on the economy, I mean, obviously, you, you're, you're sitting in a seat with, you know, you, you've got a massive history of data. You've seen, you're one of the few companies that have seen cycles come and go. Um, yeah. Where do you think we're at today? Are you seeing anything in your data that suggests where a downturn is imminent? No. What we're seeing is continued demand at similar level for our product. I will tell you, though, that we're consciously cautious about the unforeseen. So daily monitoring, because we have a daily remittance product, we've built the business and in our history have been able to develop techniques for us to stay ahead of any potential peril. So I would call very high monitoring at this 
point and being very careful based on any kind of existential information that we can glean or that we're fed. But so far, demand remains high, and we have not seen a fall off in portfolio quality at this time. Well, that is good news. Uh, On that note, I'll just say thank you very much for your time, Dan. I really appreciate it. Peter, thank you very much. Okay, see ya. All right. So I have asked many guests that I've had on the show over the last few weeks their take on where the economy is at because a lot of these people, as I mentioned just there, they have a very rich source of data, their own customer database, particularly with Can Capital where their data goes back through multiple recessions and you know they would see – any kind of leading indicators that would show up easily in their data. And the fact is they're not seeing it. No one has said they're seeing anything that suggests a recession is imminent. So, I mean, that, that is good news. We've had this quite long run, you know, since really 2009 without a recession. And uh, certainly we are closer to the next one than we are to the last one, I would say. But it certainly doesn't seem like uh, we have to worry about a recession on the horizon. So on that note, I would just like to say thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy the show, I encourage you to go to iTunes or Stitcher and uh, send us your comments and give us a rating. If you like or don't like the show, always like to get uh, feedback from the listeners. So thank you very much. I will catch you next time. Bye.